Please be seated. My goodness, I've been gone for such a long time, so it is incredibly good to be back with you guys. I'm so thrilled to see all of you. Um, sadly, this will be the last time I will be able to uh, help out, uh, definitely for Sunday for a long time. Uh, you can be praying for me. Uh, as a missionary for RHMA, I've been asked to go and give pulpit supply to a church plant in Granville, Illinois, that is in the process of looking for a pastor, and I, and just out of love for them, have uh, a love for their gospel witness, I've agreed to go and serve them for the next four weeks. Uh, so uh, I would appreciate your prayers as I go to try and minister to those brothers and sisters in Christ. But I'm delighted to be able at least to preach at least one more time for you tonight. Um, the as you know, we have been preaching through the Bible over the last three years, and we are in the New Testament. We had just finished preaching through the book of Ephesians, and now we are in the book of Philippians. Uh, so our scripture reading tonight is Philippians 2, 1 through 13. It will not be on the screen, so it, you will have to pull a Bible out of the, out of the pew and turn to Philippians 2, 1 through 13. That will be our scripture reading for tonight. Uh, but to give you some context for where we're at, in the book of Philippians, Paul writes from a jail in Rome. And he writes to the Philippians at, for their encouragement and, and to uh, spur them on in their Christian walk. But as he is writing this letter to the Philippians, he talks about all the things that he has suffered for the sake of the gospel. He is imprisoned for, sh for sharing the gospel. And yet, rather be, than be discouraged about it, Paul actually talks about it in a very positive sense. He says, yes, I'm in prison, but because of my imprison, imprisonment, all of my jailers, all of the guards have learned about the gospel. Because of my imprisonment, imprisonment all of the royal guard has learned about Jesus and the gospel. And then he goes on to say that it's also spurred on other brothers to share the gospel and encourage them to share their faith with a caveat. There are some who were sharing the gospel and they were doing it out of spite. They were doing it because they were jealous of Paul's uh, notoriety. They were doing it uh, out of, Paul says, selfish ambition and vain conceit. They were doing it out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. And rather than ragging on these, uh, just rather than ragging on these teachers who are, uh, had, instead of staying under Paul's leadership and under his church, they had split away and started their own churches or their own, their own teachings. Uh, instead of staying under Paul's leadership, bragging, rather, Paul does. He says, you know what, at least the gospel is being preached. I'm not going to disparage them. I am just grateful that there are others out there preaching the gospel, even if it is from selfish ambition. This is an incredibly humble thing for him to say, because this is the place where the, you know, this in, in Rome, he has poured blood, sweat and tears into this church and he is in prison for this work. And while he is in prison for the faith, he is seeing these little posers running around and trying to gain 
fame and, and uh, influence from the gospel for terrible reasons. And yet Paul steps back and he says, all that matters is that Jesus is being preached. This is incredible for him to take the stance of humility because we all know what it's like for others to, to steal our credit, the things that we have worked so hard to achieve, and for somebody else to springboard off of them for success. Um, what's even more astounding is what he goes on to tell the Philippians. We already read part of that when he tells them that I want you to be united. For by your unity, as brothers and sisters, our adversaries see their coming destruction. As a side note, this is our war plan that God has given us. The gospel to the world and unity to the church. It is a war plan not of violence, but of peace and unity. It is a war plan of love and humility. That we just demonstrate that Satan will be destroyed and that Christ will come again by our continued unity and the persistence of the gospel. This is how we fight. This is how we fight in a world where we are behind enemy lines. Uh, but just uh, as uh, we will pick up again our reading that we left off from our, our, our uh, reading we were together, we'll pick it up here in chapter 2, verse 1. It is the same idea that's being continued. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The title of this sermon is Deep Humility, the Glue of Unity. All sets of such deep humility and then further calls us to live in unity seems almost impossible when we actually start getting down into the nitty gritty of what this looks like. It is impossible, it, it is completely possible to fake it. And it, I would posit that many churches have fake unity, that they put on their Sunday smiles 
They put on their Sunday friendliness. They come to church. They greet people at the handshakes. And then, but it never gets any deeper than the face. But the, that the unity that we are called to live as Christians in this world is much deeper than that. Jesus said in his prayer in John 17, Father, I pray that they would be one, even as you and I are one. The unity that, that Jesus has with the Father is one of complete agreement. He never, Jesus never does anything that the Father does not will. They are in complete agreement, a unity. In, to, in fact, when we talk about God, we say that he is three persons in one. Such a fundamental and, and indivisible unity. Un, you can't pull them apart that we say it is one God. This, this unity that is so complete and whole is what Jesus wants us to be like as his church, and in other places, he calls us his body. Very intentionally, he wants us to be his hands and feet, working together completely. And when we talk about what this means, it often is going to mean self-denial. It's going to mean a lot of grace because we are still sinful we are still broken um, and we have this very natural way of irritating one another because that's what families do uh, and as we go about life there's going to be fights there's going to be times where someone says something that rubs you wrong and they don't just do it once they do many times and we're going to have to have grace. And we're going to have to have humility. There are going to be times when they don't play the songs I want them to play. Because all these, either for, because these are old, way too old for me. Or these are way too different. These are the newfangled songs that are coming out. And it's not the classic hymns that have been tried and true over the ages. And we're going to have to just have grace for one another. We're going to have to have humility for one another and say that I'm going to put my own interests behind the interests of the body. We're going to have to have humility when uh, all these things and it's going to really stink. Not having humility a unity of this kind really, really stinks. And that's why Paul takes this portion of Philippians to talk in more in-depth. Oh, here comes the new, uh, here comes that little receiver thing. Yeah, I know it is. Uh, this is why Paul is going to take this time to talk about how we can have this kind of a unity in spite of all that we do to irritate each other.
All right, we back. All right. Hey, I need uh, control of the computer when you got a second. All right. So the big idea for you tonight, and I've already started on that, is that Christ-like humility, it promotes God-honoring unity. Christ-like humility is the only thing that's going to be able to help us live out this God-honoring unity, this uh, unity that still persists even when we feel like having a fight or even when we are still wanting to ignore people or when we are wanting to just keep people at arm's length. So first of all, we want to see that in our passage, we see that how we can be united is a unity in the gospel. This is going to influence our mindset. How do we see life? Paul says, if there is any encouragement in Christ. In fact, I got a little something here to show you how this, how Paul is thinking uh, as he is expressing these things. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit or any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, the same love being in full accord and of one mind. In these two uh, passages, it's not immediately apparent, but Paul is using uh, a, a symmetry and a beauty to, to really bring home the idea of unity. And I've tried to draw it out for you in this uh, presentation slide here. This encouragement in Christ uh, is an encouragement in the in the fact that we are all forgiven sinners. We can therefore be of the same mind as we are working together for the purpose of sharing the gospel. Comfort from the love of Christ. We are called together to that same love. We are united around that same love in Jesus Christ. Paul next talks about the participation in the Holy Spirit. If there is any participation in the Holy Spirit, therefore be unified. In the ESV, it says being of one accord, but that's a little bit of a, a better translation is being of the same spirit or soul. And so Paul is referencing again that we are all participating in the Holy Spirit, therefore be unified in our spirit. And th if there is any affection and sympathy for one another, then let us be unified and have the same mind of working together for further affection and sympathy for one another and affection and sympathy for our lost world. This is uh, the basic idea. It is uh, structured in a chiasm, especially in verse 2 where it is really driving home this central idea of being together and how that looks. Not only uh, uh, that true unity requires us to be having the same goals, the same desires, the same heart, the same love, and the same power. Uh, that's a very important one. We often forget that in the church, 
we don't do anything by our own power. We are all working together under the power of the Holy Spirit. Because in, in ourselves, we can do nothing. In, in our own actions, we can't serve and, and affect anyone with love. We can't teach and impact the hearts of anyone else. We cannot give and have that giving result in any spiritual fruit. We cannot show compassion and have that compassion influence anyone towards the gospel. It is all through our mutual participation in the Holy Spirit that our unified efforts can result in anything beneficial. Uh, as I already mentioned to you, that our encouragement from the gospel brings us unity. We, we all have this encouragement that we, remember, we are all in the same boat. Before we knew Jesus Christ, all of us were destined for hell. We, are all sin- we were all sinners. All of us have fallen short of God's standard, not just in the things we intentionally do, but in the things that we have failed to do. Or didn't even know to do. That doesn't uh, failure to understand what God wants, or a failure to live up to His expectations, still makes us guilty, and still makes us deserving of punishment. We were all destined. We have all fallen short of God's glory, and we were all destined for His wrath, and we were have all received new life. We have all received a second chance from the Lord who has died for our sins, who has risen to new life and has unified us all to himself. And this is what gives us encouragement for pursuing new life, for pursuing holiness, for pursuing Jesus. It is this mindset that unifies us together as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ. We all take comfort from Jesus' love. I can't tell you uh, how, of, how much of an impact the love of Jesus Christ ought to have in our lives. We, it, it doesn't have an impact normally because we don't give it much credit. We don't truly know or think about or have faith in how deep that love is for us. Now, Paul's going to express how deep that love is for us in a moment. But let's just think about this. The the God who created you and I, who placed the stars in the sky, he created this creation that was beautiful, that was innocent, unmarred, untouched, and in our desire to, to have control over good and evil, we tried to make ourselves like God. We rebelled against Him, and we ushered in darkness. We ushered in pain, sin, wrongdoing, evil into this world. We gave Satan permission to rule over this world instead of God. And yet, instead of kicking us to the curb and starting over, God promises that He will make things right. He will eventually destroy the enemy. And He 
worked through all of the Bible, biblical history, preparing us for his own coming himself. He himself came. I'm getting ahead of myself here. I do get worked up over the gospel once in a while. We already talked about participation in the Spirit and how we have unity knowing that we none of us come to the table with any particular gift or any particular authority or power or, or uh, uh, ability that is not given to us by the Holy Spirit. We all come to this church being completely empty. And if anything good comes of the things we, we do, it is because God is at work through us, His body. And then affection and sympathy. We've got to recognize that uh, affection and sympathy for one another is absolutely necessary. Now some of that is going, is going to come from a recognition of our own sinfulness. And so uh, when we realize just how lost we were, how evil our hearts are, that ought to give us sympathy for our brothers and sisters in Christ who sometimes tick us off a little bit. Because guess what? They're the same as me. They're the same as me. Of course they're going to irritate me because the same struggles, the same things I get mad about myself over, are the same struggles that they have too. So I can love them nonetheless because Jesus loves them just like he's loved me. He has taken this person and brought them into our family. These, this is the person, these people around us, Ultimately, these are the people that Christ has called us to do life with. All of us here, we are living or should be living and strive to live from the Bible. We strive to live out of love for Jesus. And we strive to live to follow Him. And so that this, there's this common thread that pulls us all together and gives us love for one another. That we can live in fellowship because there's something that my brother has that, that I can't find out there. It, uh, I often hear parents say that, that, one of the, that they can't help but love their children's friends because those children show genuine love for the person they cherish the most. It's, some, it's somewhat like that in the church. We can't help but love the others in the church who love the one that we cherish the most, Jesus Christ. We can have sympathy for one another when we have our, our bickers and our, and our uh, divisions. There's a, a way that we can find unity knowing that we are all sinful people and that we are all called to forgive one another. But then there is also an affection that we have for one another because of Jesus the one who has loved us and sacrificed himself for us and has called us together into a family. And not just for, the, for uh, those here. There is a common unity around Jesus. Whenever, wherever we go, wherever we find other believers, there's this knowledge that this person has chosen to, to set aside the world 
and to follow Jesus. When you're out in, in a world that doesn't want anything to do with Jesus, when you're out listening, uh, I'll give you an example of this. One summer, our family went to a fossil dig out in, I believe it was Wyoming, either that or North Dakota, one of the two. We went to a fossil dig. It was woolly mammoths. And we were listening to this uh, tour guide taking us through the woolly mammoth graveyard. And we were listening to this tour guide talk about how uh, this, these woolly mammoths had been buried in sediment over, you know, an extended period of time, and they became fossils over millions of years, and it was just wearing. It was very discouraging, because I don't believe the Bible says that. I think the Bible gives us a very different perspective, but that's a whole other conversation. But it was just so refreshing when I and my family were, as we're exploring around the dig site, we ran into another family of believers. And as we're able to talk together, we were able to encourage one another and talk about how God is so creative that His power and, and beauty and design in, in creating this world, it was such an encouraging thing because in a world that doesn't even think twice about God, there was another person who who believed the same and who loved Jesus like I did. So there is affection and sympathy for one another that holds us together. And there's also an affection and sympathy for the world that ought to give us a unified desire to reach unbelievers with the gospel. Because the reality is that unless Someone asked Jesus for forgiveness to save them and to be in charge of their life. That person is destined for eternal damnation. Big word, it means wrath. It means hell. Jesus is more than willing to offer anyone uh, forgiveness to come under his wing and to be saved but they need to take that step. And before they can take that step, they need to hear. How can they, uh, how can they accept the gospel if they have not he heard? And how can they hear if no one goes? Therefore, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so, as we all recognize out there, a world that is lost a world that is suffering, and they keep making it worse. They keep trying to find the, the next cure for, de, for depression, for identity disorders, and, and, and all these things. They try and, and, and fix themselves by going further and further away from Jesus, and it keeps making it worse. And here we have the good news of Jesus Christ, that he loves them. In spite of their sin, he is willing, not willing that any should perish, that, but all should have eternal life. And that if anyone would cast themselves on his mercy 
and ask for forgiveness and seek to follow him in repentance, he will save them. And so we have this good news. And, And knowing what unbelievers go through, knowing what it's like, knowing that we have this one who is so good, so wonderful to us, so loving. It ought to give us a common desire to go and share the good news so that we can be unified in our desire to share the gospel. In step two, we see that Paul gives us an application. Now, normally I like to give you guys the application at the end as a conclusion. But the Bible gives us the application right here in the middle. So I'm going to give it to you right now in the middle. Verse three through four, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is where the rubber really meets the road. This is the mindset. This is where the mindset of unity meets our relationships. This is where grace and humility influence us to act differently towards the people in the church and to the people in the world as well. But but definitely and specifically here, talking about how we can have unity as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, It is for this reason, Paul is not thinking of his own interests as he's seeing all these wannabes out there just waltzing around and proclaiming Jesus because they saw that Paul got a whole ton of fame from it. And they're trying to make themselves bigger. And and so for, for this reason, because Paul is not concerned for his own interests, but he's concerned for the interests of those who are hearing in Rome, that he's able to say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm glad. I'm not going to be bitter about this. I'm not going to be spiteful. I'm going to be glad that Jesus is being proclaimed. He's He's not focused on his own interests, but on the interests of others. And he's counting others more significant than himself. It is here that we need to take this and apply this in our lives, that we ought to be concerned for the good of others, not just ourselves. That there is a, in fact, there's a, Paul even gives a bit of a prominence in, in the spirit is that we ought to look out for the good of others and not just ourselves. So, as we're trying to have unity in the body, oh, this is not going to be fun. There are some days we're pursuing a humility mindset of saying, it's okay, I don't want this, but this is really going to help somebody else. That it's not going to be fun. But it really it is a beautiful thing that makes God so happy. Talk about music, for instance. It's such a hot-button topic that um, 
some, a way that I've challenged myself is that I've got a certain group of songs that I really don't like. And I have reasons for that. I won't go into them now. But how can I, for instance, be uh, seeking the interest of others more than myself? Well, maybe, maybe these songs, even if I don't like them, maybe these songs, as long as they're not preaching heresy, maybe these songs can be beneficial for somebody else. Maybe these songs are going to be meaningful for somebody else, a different generation than what I grew up in, or somebody that God needs to speak to them through these songs. Now, uh, that's an example. Um, how we are, how we go about church unity uh, in relationships. Okay, maybe I don't really want to talk to this person today. Maybe I don't really want to talk to this person, but they're sitting alone in the corner and nobody's talked to them all. So looking out for their interests means that I need to go show them that somebody actually cares about them and loves them. So just be thinking about this. This is not a principle that I can tell you how to apply. It's something you are going to have to sit on and chew on and make it a target for your life. How can I look out for somebody else, even if it means looking out for myself right now? Maybe there's a church, maybe there's an emergency in the church and somebody needs help moving furniture. And we and and you hear about the need and and you think, oh man. I, I was looking forward to going, coming home and sitting back and watching the football game. Actually, I'm not quite sure how many people here actually enjoy football, so that may not be a good analogy. Fill in whatever you want, though. I was looking forward to coming home, resting and relaxing. How can I look to the good of the one who needs help, even if it means that I don't get to have the rest I was looking forward to? Just some examples. It's the Remember that mindset mentality I was talking to you about earlier? This is a mindset where we take this into life and we search and look and eagerly uh, try and find ways where we can serve one another beyond just opening the door for the person who's walking behind me. Thirdly, we need to examine the humiliation of Jesus. And I chose that word uh, quite intentionally. The humiliation of Jesus, who is our example. This is the biggest section of, our, of uh, the passage tonight because it demonstrates, it's actually a hymn. It's an early church hymn. Have this mindset among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What we see here is 
uh, is Jesus taking step, these downward steps of humility. It's like he's walking downstairs. And with each step he takes, he goes deeper and deeper and deeper into humiliation, if you will. Uh, and I'm using that word very intentionally because we, we tend to think, okay, humility is all well and good up to a point. And we are so rarely, uh, we were so rarely think about how much Jesus valued humility and just how far he went. Think about this, that Jesus as God, it says in the form of God, but don't let that fool you. The Greek there, the form of God is meaning to, to indicate uh, that he was God in his uh the the uh, theologian um, theologians of the early church said substance or uh, flesh or basically that because Jesus before he took on his human body was uh, uh, neither uh, this term we have neither div- uh, confusing the persons of the Trinity nor dividing the substance. The way that we say that Jesus is one God with the Father and the Holy Spirit, that's what it's talking about there, that though he was in the Trinity, in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. There's this vivid imagery that harkens back to the Garden of Eden as Adam and Eve grasp this forbidden fruit to try because they wanted to be like God. And so they reached out and they grasped at it to try and take it for themselves. Jesus, the second Adam, is a contrast. He does not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbles himself and empties himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Well, thanks, Paul. It doesn't sound very nice hearing that Jesus is humiliated by becoming human. It doesn't sound very nice. It doesn't feel very nice. But let's look at the reality here. We are the creation. We are the things that he has created. And not only and after he was so good to create us, we spit in his face. We chose to rebel. And all of human history has been one big catastrophe of people trying to do the same thing over and over again to make themselves God instead of the, in the place of Yahweh, the one true God. All of human history has been one big catastrophe of worshiping themselves or idols made in their own image in place of the one true God. And so Jesus sees, looks down into the mess of this world, and he sees us and he has compassion. He has a tender heart, and he has a heart to restore what was broken. And so instead of forcing us to live in into a uh, instead of forcing us to live what we can't, the the law of the Old Testament of becoming perfect and living perfectly, that we just can't 
do. God did not force us to come to him. He took on human form, this lowly thing that he created, and he came to us. He came to us. The glory of an immortal God, the immortal God, whose glory is so brilliant and blinding and piercing that if any mortal person looked upon God in his full glory, he would perish because it is that holy. It is that glorious and radiating. A God before whom angels themselves, the angels who have never sinned, cover their eyes as they sing before, sing before him and worship him. They cover their eyes. This glorious God took on flesh, took on a body, became human. He was born by a, a, a virgin, but he still came the normal way, covered in blood and fluid. He came and he had to go through this really hard, gross process of doing life. God immortal had to ha go through the ignominy. Ignominy. God himself. The, can you imagine the scandal of the God of the universe having to go poop? Can you imagine the scandal of the God of the universe being dirty and stinky, stinky and smelly, being looked down upon by the ones he's created, being despised and, and being ignored by the ones that he has created. Can you imagine just how humiliating this is? Even in Paul's day, this, this word humility was not at all a virtue. Humility was a term that was used to describe slaves. Not the night, not, not like there is, it's not like these are dignified servants walking around. These, the Romans had field slaves. And, and they had humans that were enslaved in the household, but even they had no autonomy or authority. They were treated terribly in the most despicable manner. And the slaves had to put up with it. They had to take it. And if, you, and if we think about Jesus' life, this is what he did. He came, he lived, and he not, only put, he not only subjected himself to death, he subjected himself to death on that the most painful death a human could ever go through. Excruciating. And not just the physical pain itself, but we believe that on the cross, he received the full impact of the Father's wrath. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Creator took upon himself his own wrath. This was a no holds bar operation. There was no level that Jesus did not stoop to. And yet, and, and this, 
This is the example of humility that we are called to live. Because when the Bible says that Jesus is our example, it's not joking. It's not a sentimental idea. We, are, we ought to be willing to go through the same degrees of humility and even humiliation, if that's what it takes, for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of one another, the people that we love in this church. Now, I do want to point out something. That in verse 9, there is a reversal. That even though that Jesus has gone through the ultimate humiliation, that's not the end of the story. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. In heaven, meaning the spiritual beings that God has created will bow and confess, whether they are the angels who remained loyal or eventually the demons who will be judged. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And on earth, humans, every human shall bow. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And under the earth. This is either referring to those who have already died and passed away or, again, to... Um, and that's or to, uh, again, spiritual beings of evil. But regardless, th this idea of heaven and earth and under the earth means this complete totality of every being, not just living, but those who have passed away as well, ever since the beginning of time. Every created thing will someday acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Someday, Vladimir Putin will acknowledge that Jesus Christ was Lord. Someday, Saddam Hussein will bow before God in complete fear because now he sees Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, high and lifted up, glory and and. and, and uh, um, the word used here is exalted. That harkens to another place in the Bible where in James we read that he, if any man humbles himself, God will exalt him. Someday, someday, all those crooked politicians who just delight to find ways to make our lives harder will bow and acknowledge that they missed the real treasure because they were so blind and they missed the real king of the universe, the one who had true authority and sovereign over the nations. Someday we will see Satan himself bow the knee and recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Knowing all these things, let's live it out.
Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is something we are expected to live into. Jesus does have this expectation on us to live out a life where we pursue Jesus as our example, even the degree of humiliation he was willing to undergo for the sake of the gospel, of the good news, of the restoration of mankind to God. He is our example, and God does expect us to follow him. And it is so hard. It is so hard sometimes because we have to ignore our own desires. Our own impulses have to be mastered at every stage. We always have to have an eye on it. And so Paul says, work it out with fear and trembling. He wants us to take it seriously. We do not need to to read this and and say uh, that the true believer has to be afraid. But rather, we know that we know true believers because these are the ones who choose to continue following Jesus, who persist in loving Him, who persist in in their allegiance, in their faith, in their love for the Lord. I was once asked some... I was once discipling this young man, and I don't know what God will do with him, whether he will eventually call him back or not. But he asked me, Gabe, I don't know if I can continue believing this. And I had to tell him, Bud, what a, a, a true believer just believes. And it's not a degree. You don't have to try and manage some level of faith where it, you know, you never have to ask yourself how much faith is enough faith. You know, that, that, that's the opposite of what Jesus wants. He says even a mustard seed can grow into a, a, a huge tree where birds can perch. Even a mustard seed of faith is enough. If you just persist in believing, no matter how frail it is enough, no matter how, even if it's just wake up every single day and the, and the point of that day is persist in believing. But, G, but for those of us who believe and for the, we know um, that God's desire is for us to take this seriously, And for those of us who believe, we are supposed to follow Jesus' example and become just like him in every single detail. And Jesus knows that it is impossible for us to do this. And so Paul gives us this word of encouragement. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We are not tackling this alone. Our growth in Jesus, as much as we need to desire this, it does not come from us. Our ability to grow and become like Jesus is not coming from in here. It comes from God's 
work in us and through our lives to, to take us through the most uncomfortable situations, to take us through suffering, to take us through testing so that we can be purified from all of these uh, impurities in, a, in metal. Uh, the purest gold has to be put through a refining process so that all of everything that isn't gold rises to the top. It's called slag. And they skim it off of the top. But know that as you, as, as, as you see the example of Jesus and you desire to follow him, and you're discouraged by the lack of progress, or you don't see how you're making progress, or you feel like God's not close to you right now, take courage. Be encouraged. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is not only on you. All he asks is for you to be willing and to surrender to God's will for your life. What does that mean? Jesus, I recognize I'm not being humble in this area. I'm looking after my own interests instead of the interests of others. I need you to change this about myself. And then go and try. And when you fail, it's okay. Let's try again. Just keep trying to walk. Because it is God who will give you the strength to walk in the way that he has called you to walk. And I think the reason why the Apostle Paul puts this in there is because he knows that believers fall into one of two categories. Who don't, the, they're the listeners who don't see the need to grow who don't see the need to change or who hear these things and say, that's a nice thing, that's a, ni that's a nice sentiment, but I don't think it's practical. I don't think, I, I don't think it applies. And so to those people, Paul says, no, 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 no. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then there are those people who are trying and they fail and they're discouraged and they say, how, I'm trying I'm not enough. I'm not enough. And Paul says, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his own good pleasure. God is working in you. Do not be afraid. He is working in you. Never fear. And he will work in you. Chapter, chapter 1, he says that he, what he has started, he will bring to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Church, when, if we could all live like this, how wonderful, how sweet would the church be? A group of people in a community that are so dedicated to one another, committed to one another, and love one another, unified in their pursuit and in their purpose, It's for this reason, Paul says, that if you can live into this, it is a witness to the world of the truth of what we teach and a sign that their destruction is near. 
when they see us and they see a group of people that should rightly be at each other's throats and they see us unified together, they know that Jesus is here. It's not going to be easy. But let's try anyways. Because ultimately, we're living for Jesus because we love him. We want to make him happy. We want to honor him and we want to worship him. On that note, let's close in prayer. Jesus, we really aren't enough. There are some days we work, we wake up, and our whole being rebels against this idea. Help us anyways. Soften our hearts because you need to, we need you. We give you permission to have your way in us. We give you permission to have your way in us. Change our hearts and the things that we love and the things that we value. And there are going to be days that we fail There's gonna, because we're still growing and we are still weak. Thank you for the cross and the promise that there is now no, for, therefore now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you for this, Lord. Thank you for this promise. Thank you for the promise that you are at work in us and that you are bringing us to completion and that you are working for your own purposes and in your own time. Lord, we offer you our church. We offer you our gathering. And we, and we say, Lord, this is you. This is your church. We are yours. We surrender to you. Have your way in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. At this point, um, we're going to...